Perinatal Stories Australia. Welcome to Perinatal Stories Australia. My name is Rebecca, and every episode we provide a listening ear to the lived experiences of mental illness during pregnancy and postpartum. I hope this podcast reduces stigma, informs listeners about support services available, and inspires those on their own healing journey. More importantly, I hope you can hear these stories and know you're not alone. Thank you for being here to hold space for the stories we often keep to ourselves. Hi everyone, I'm joined today by Ella. Ella is an occupational therapist who is the brains <laughs> and the beautiful face behind Mind Mama on Instagram, which is Mind Over Mama, the business. Ella's here to talk to us today about her experience with depression with both her postpartums. And there was something in particular on your story submission that really stood out to me. And I kind of wanted to draw attention to that. Um, which I I really resonated with. And you said motherhood was everything I ever dreamed of until I arrived and it turned into my worst nightmare. And that just absolutely resonated with me. Yeah. So I guess um, I dreamt my whole entire life of of motherhood. It was all I ever wanted. I wasn't career focused or anything. Um, And I finally got everything I had ever wanted. And it just literally was a spiral downwards. It was, um, yeah, it was tougher than I ever imagined. Felt so lonely and isolated. And I felt like no one else was going through what I was experiencing. But I think that was, looking back, it was just that nobody ever spoke about it. Um, everybody hid it and pretended like it was all rosy when that's not the reality. Definitely not the reality at all. So when did you start noticing these symptoms? Was it during pregnancy or was it postpartum? It was just postpartum and I think I didn't pick up on it being um, postpartum depression till quite far down. Um, It all started off, I guess, you know, my husband was working on his new business. Hours were ridiculous. Um, my daughter was a terrible sleeper. She just cried all the time. The crying was so triggering for me. Um, and I started to get help for her sleep um, to try and manage that. And along that way, I was referred for a psychologist um, and all this additional support. And I guess once I started talking to the psychologist, it then started to come out what I was really going through. Um, and yeah, I think that's kind of how that all came. I was just about to start on medications and I found out I was pregnant again. Um, so we didn't end up starting on medications, but I still was somewhat in denial. Then I still kind of just thought, no, you know what, I'll get through it. I'll be fine. Um, and I think yeah, the real, um, time where depression and anxiety came up was after my son. Um, and we'd moved out of my parents' house. We'd bought our own place and we were living um, here. And I guess everything just became way too much. And that's when it really came out that I was not doing okay at all. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how it all unfolded. And I think that that's quite common. You know, we we hide <laughs> or we don't want to believe that that's the case. But I'm I'm so happy that you 
you were referred to a psychologist in the process of asking for help for sleep. Did you continue to see that psychologist during the pregnancy with your son? I saw her for, look, I can't remember exactly, but a couple of months. And then she actually decided that um, working was all too much with her kids. So she ended up leaving um, to take a break to spend time with her daughter. Um, So I didn't actually end up going and following on with anybody else. I kind of thought in my mind I had it all under control and it was all fine and I was back to work at that stage so I think it was just everything was just too much really um, and I wasn't ready to start my story all over again with somebody else. And I think that's such a common thing when we transition psychologists you have to then go through the whole history to catch them all yeah. up and you spend so many sessions just like explaining to them what you've already had yeah. to explain before which is frustrating. Exactly yeah. And then developing that connection as well, you know, it takes a couple of appointments to really get into that swing of, you know, trusting them and building that relationship. And if you don't build it, it's kind of like, oh, just gone one, wasted all that money, that time. I've told my story all over again. Let's then go and start again with someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So you said that things really took a nosedive after you had your son. So this is your second postpartum at this point. What were some of the thoughts or the feelings that came up that were different perhaps from your daughter? I think um, it probably, you know, stemmed around my daughter, um, you know, being a toddler and it's, well, for me anyway, and I think a lot of people, you know, having a toddler can be a lot more difficult than a newborn. You know, they're they're talking, their behaviourally can be really difficult Um, and I guess a lot of her meltdowns were really triggering for me. Um, you know, I get really overstimulated and triggered by noise. So, you know, her going off, the TV going, my son crying, all of that was just always really triggering. Um, you know, having the, the mental load on me all the time, that's been really triggering and overwhelming. And then that isolation, just being here um, at home on my own all the time, um, struggling to get out of the house with the two kids um, so I think, yeah, that, that kind of all in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, there were a few things said to me that just made me realize that things weren't going well. Um, and I remember, um, one comment saying that motherhood doesn't suit me really triggered me and made me actually realize that I needed to go and get help and that things were really not okay. And that's such a horrible, horrible thing to say. Yeah, it cut to my core. And I'm not kidding, within a couple of minutes, I was on my phone and booking an appointment with my GP because right at that minute, I knew that things were not okay. Um, I had been, you know, having thoughts of suicide. I didn't want to be here. Um, yeah. Life would be much better without me. Yeah. Wow. It was, um, I was in a really bad place. And I just, I guess that comment, although, you know, it really was hurtful, but at the same time, it was the turning point for me to realise it was time for getting help um, and enough was enough. I can't keep going on like this. Well, you mentioned that you'd moved out of your parents' house and you were now in your new place by yourself. Was it still close to your parents that you had enough support or were you still a bit isolated? Yeah, it's close enough to my parents, only 20 or so minutes away and similar to my two sisters as well. But um yeah, I think, you know, not being in their house with them all the time, my parents offered so much support for us. They really took a lot of the weight off of me, you know, helping with cooking and they'd take the kids if they saw that I wasn't coping. 
um, they were really amazing and they actually didn't know anything that was going on um, with my mental health whatsoever. So I think just transitioning from that to not having them there all the time, having to manage the whole house, the the meals, everything, it was just too much. Yeah, and like you said, your your husband wasn't home most of the day, so it was literally yeah. just you. Yeah, yeah, and if he is home, you know, he works in the office so and he's got long hours and things, so, yeah. that That is so incredibly hard. So that comment actually motivated the need to reach out for help. And so you spoke to your GP. What happened after that? Um, So straight away um, she put me on medication and gave me a referral for a psychologist um, and then also gave me a lot of tips in terms of, you know, going and listening to podcasts and going for walks and trying to just make a few lifestyle changes. You know, I wasn't eating um, or if I was eating it was something tiny for breakfast or nothing all day and just dinner. Um, So just managing all those little tiny, um, yeah, lifestyle changes, actually having a shower every day, um, things like that. (laughs) What was through your GP? Yeah, my GP, honestly. GP. She has been incredible. I've never found a GP like this in my life. Um, And, yeah, so I think for, for me she has been incredible. Yeah, I'm, and that's sometimes very different to what we hear is that sometimes a GP actually prevents us from getting help. So I'm so happy yeah. that that was actually the case and that you have that relationship. Yeah. Um, you mentioned medication. What was yeah. that like? Yeah, it was, um, I, I'd been on medications before even being pregnant. Um, yeah. So I had uh, mild depression before having children. Okay. And um, so I was just put straight back onto the same medication. But I guess in terms of, I mean, later on it's come out um, after seeing a psychiatrist, you know, that I did have acute anxiety as well. Yeah. So just the medication that the GP had put me on, yes, it was right, but it wasn't the right dosage. Sure. Um, so I think for me that medication it really was great for a little while, um, probably about three months, and then I started to go downhill again. Um, and then, so seeing that psychiatrist upping that medication, um, but I guess, you know, in upping that medication, there were a lot of side effects with doing that too. Um, but overall medication for me has truly been a savior. It's kind of been a, it just has leveled me out. It's helped to manage my frustration and rage and anger so that I can actually be a little bit more present and be able to control everything that's going on inside of me. For sure. And rage and anger is something in motherhood we just don't talk about. Like, heaven forbid yeah. we feel frustrated at our children. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. No, and I think, you know, that that for me was it was really embarrassing to begin with. I um, I felt shame, you know. I would yell at my daughter. I would, I would get so angry, you know. I would even throw things down the hallway um, just so much frustration and anger just triggered from all the little things, you know, even if the house was too messy um, or if I, I couldn't stand the wheels anymore, um, you know, just all the little things would really set me off. And, yeah, I guess being able to realise that that is, um, I guess, a massive part of my depression as well. Um, and I know, you know, it is something that you don't have to necessarily have depression to feel that anger and rage, but it certainly comes alongside of it for many. Yeah, I think just 
being able to manage that anger and rage a little bit better has really helped. Um, but as I said, it has been something that has been really embarrassing um, to talk about and be open about. But I think more recently it's, um, yeah, I've just started to realise how common it is. And it's one of those things, once you know that you're not the only one going through that, it definitely takes the shame or a bit of the shame edge off. Yeah. Um. So in terms of disclosing that, you said your GP referred you to a psychologist and you also saw a psychiatrist. So you've yeah. had both. Okay. And what were those like? What are those like, I should say? Yeah. Um. So first up, I actually saw two psychologists. So I started off with one um, and she was actually quite specifically around relationships. Um, even my husband came and saw her with me. Wow. Um. But I think that relationship with her, um, it just didn't work out. Um, so I actually got referred to another one from my sister. Um, and she has just been absolutely incredible. She's made me feel like everything I'm going through is normal and it's okay and has really helped me to build the skills to navigate and given me little goals to work on each week, which I think is really important um, if you're just going out of each session not having something to work on. You're kind yeah. of wondering, oh, well, where am I now? What do I do? How do I actually get better? Yeah. Um, so that, that's been really great for me and I really look forward to those sessions um, yeah. every week or every couple of weeks that we have them. Um, in terms of the psychiatrist, she was um, really great. You know, a whole different experience. I guess she really went into depth um, straight up with my history and what's been going on for me. Um, exploring all the potential diagnoses as well. So, yeah, that's been really great. And I think just being able to have um, the option of having a medication where my anxiety levels are really high and I just need an immediate fix. Yeah. Um, and then also having, you know, upping the medications to try and manage long term. So I'll just clarify here. So you've got the yeah. standard antidepressant, but then also... Yep. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term, the PRN, which is the take as needed yeah. medication. Okay. And yeah. that has been, in terms of for your anxiety, that's been influential, I assume? It has been. I certainly, look, I'm somebody who's pretty much anti-medication. I just don't, like for yeah. everything in general. Yeah. I'm like, no, I won't take that. No, I don't need a Panadol. I'll deal with my headache. Yeah. Um, so I think I've struggled with taking that PRN medication. Yeah. Um. And I think, yeah, it's it's taken, I mean, I've only taken it three times since getting it a couple of months ago, but that's because I'm like, oh, do I really need it? I think I can cope. Yeah. But when I have taken it, it has been really bad. Um, yeah. It's gotten to a point where, you know what, I actually can't get out of this. I need something to help me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just about me learning to realise that it is okay. Um, yeah. And I'm getting there, getting there slowly. Oh, you sound exactly like me. I was put on PRN and they they actually had to make it a scheduled time just so that I would take it for the first couple of weeks because my anxiety was beyond, absolutely beyond. And they're like, Rebecca, if you take it every day, like the tiniest, tiniest amount, just to level you out until the antidepressants kick in. And yeah, forcing myself, it helped. My goodness, it helped. Yeah. I haven't taken it since because we're clearly the same people. We're very stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there were times when I just thought, this is getting worse. This is not yeah. okay. I'm so close to taking it. Because you know, having gone through this, how quickly things go downhill. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, 
you know, we all think of anxiety in terms of just this constant worry and things like that that is there. But anxiety can get really bad and it's only probably been more recently in this last three to six months where my anxiety has gotten so beyond out of control that, you know, all the physical symptoms that I'm experiencing as well, it's really hard to manage and there's just no way out of it sometimes for some people. So I think that medication can be really, really important. I'm not saying it's for everybody, but it certainly can um, be so helpful if, if prescribed to you. And as you know, when that anxiety gets out of control, everything feels like life and death, you know, it feels beyond your control. Yeah, I, I relate to so much of what you've just said as well. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly nice to have people who can relate to that and, and know because, yeah, I guess so many people do go through it, but just don't have that safe place or that um, ability to talk to people who also feel that. And it's definitely a lot of misunderstanding around anxiety, as you said. Like, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you're just worrying, stop worrying. It's like, oh, I wish it was that simple. Exactly. Exactly. You really have no idea. (laughs) No. And the thing with anxiety compared to depression, for example, is that it takes over our whole system. It's not just in our head. It's our body reacting. And that is a shock. Yeah. No, 100%. I I remember it was probably only two months ago I had a, a time when I was with the kids, I was out with a friend um, and I started to feel really serious anxiety to the point I didn't even think I could get in the car and drive. I felt it was almost this out-of-body experience where I couldn't focus, driving, you know, concentrating on the traffic, everything. I could not at all, came home, I was shaking, um, my heart was just racing. It was just absolutely intense. I mean, at this stage I didn't. Actually, it probably was about four months ago because I didn't have that medication at that stage um, and that was the time that triggered um, me being able to go and see that psychiatrist to get something to help. What on you for actually reaching out and knowing that, okay, this isn't, I'm not going to use the word normal, I really don't like that no. word, but it, it's not, you know, this isn't okay. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I, I mean, also it's really been nice seeing the psychologist and the psychiatrist because it has actually made me realise that, um, you know, this is the acute anxiety, but I had actually been experiencing it for quite some time. Right. Um, and even before kids I had, and it was probably just misdiagnosed as that depression as well. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, as we just spoke about before, seeing a GP is it's really great and can be really helpful. But at the same time, seeing somebody who can specialise in mental health is really, really important for you to be able to be on the right medications. And um, I guess to have that, it's not saying that you need a label or a diagnosis or anything, but to have that, you know, right, um, I guess, pathway to start going down so that you can navigate your symptoms and try and manage it and get on top of it. No, I agree with you entirely. I know for a lot of people, those labels can be quite scary, but I think for some of us, I know for me, there was comfort in that. So you're so right that having that specialist care, whether it's the psychologist or psychiatrist or both, is so key. A hundred percent, yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people, well, I certainly didn't. I didn't talk about it all with my family or my husband at all. My husband knew nothing, nothing that I'd gone through. Um, so this was, yeah, I guess all something that I was experiencing on my own. Um, and it was only until I actually started opening up to him, um, that it started to also improve, you know, 
yeah. our daily functioning as a family as well. Um, you know, he was able to understand what I was experiencing and also open up to me about what he was experiencing himself. Um, so I think, you know, and, and I advocate this a lot is, you know, being open and honest about what your experiences are. You just don't realize that you open up the door for so many other people to share their truth and what's going on for them. Um, and I think that that's, yeah, it's a really important thing to be able to do. It's so important, but it's also one of the hardest things to do. Like, as you said, you didn't even talk to your own husband about this, your own family about this, and that just perpetuates what you're going through. You just hold on to that shame. But then once, you know, you get over that hurdle of opening up, the as you said, that shame just kind of goes away and you have a better understanding of yourself. People have a better understanding of you, but it's so hard. Yeah. I completely relate. It's it's one of the hardest things to do, to be open about what you're going through. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And I even actually remember it was only, it was a couple of weeks ago. I'd actually had really bad anxiety on this day. Um, but, you know, somebody had actually found um, my page and had started following Mind Over Mama and um, had told me, you know, she'd seen my story, but it had actually come across in a way of I feel sorry for you. Um, And I think that that's also, you know, a fear of people who are experiencing any kind of mental health challenges or even difficulties in motherhood is that, you know, I don't want somebody to feel sorry for me. That's That's not the point of somebody opening up and sharing their story. It's to get that support and to let others know that it is okay um, and I guess to just share, have somebody listen yeah. to, to what you're experiencing, not to have that, oh, you know, I feel so sorry for you. I hope everything's okay. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's a really big challenge for people opening up is I don't, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. It's counterintuitive because you then feel like you have to put a wall up and say, oh, actually, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Because you yeah. don't want them to see what yeah. they're seeing about you. <laughs> exactly. And it's almost like you get slapped with this label like you're really sick, like almost like you're dying, like everything's not okay. But yeah. it's just not the case. You know, I'm still managing. I still get through every single day, as many people with mental health do. You know, you get through it and you manage as best as you can. And that's all there is to it, really. It's just working through all those little hurdles and getting the support that you need. For sure. And I think it's incredible what you've done with Mind Over Mama. You've created this space as an occupational therapist for the perinatal period. And I don't know if you yeah. want to talk a bit more about that, if I can give you space to talk about that, because it's your baby. <laughs> it is my baby and it's turned, you know, it's become my absolute passion and it is something that I have Throughout motherhood, I've said to my husband all along, you know, I just haven't had this space. So, you know, I don't have anywhere to go to where I can feel safe to share my truth and to be, you know, to be met with support that is honest and real and will actually build my skills to navigate all these little challenges, you know, even that anger and rage or, you know, how to help mums actually prepare for motherhood. You know, it's difficult to prepare for motherhood, but to be able to know what they're going into. You know, I think it's really, really important. And so for me, I'm trying to think what even triggered me actually going ahead. I started, you know, just doing little things here and there in the background. And my husband said, just go for it. Just do it. You know, there is such a need for it. Yeah. So go ahead and do it. And 
I started, I just did one post. I said, all right, I'm going to do it. So I created the Instagram page. I did my first post and that had triggered me doing everything. Um, So, yeah, I think for me it's just, it's also helped in my recovery um, as well. It's helped me to realise what's normal and to realise that everything I'm feeling is okay. Um, Yeah. And it's also created that safe space. You know, I have so many mums reaching out saying they don't feel safe to go to their friends or to their family even, or they can't disclose to their husband what they're experiencing um, and, you know, how unhappy they are and that they don't have the skills or the tools to help them get through things. So it's really nice to have that coming through um, and for people to know that there is that safe space for them to come to. And it's that community building, right? Um, Yeah. Which I didn't expect. Social media can be such an isolating and lonely place, but it can also be this really beautiful space that we come together, we can share our stories where you're validated and you're not having to put on a a front, surprisingly, on social media. You just get to be who you are. Who you are. And, yeah, I think that's so powerful. Oh, definitely. And I think it's, you know, you know, having that, not having that front, that is, you create that space. You you decide if you want to be real or if you want to just show people what you want them to see. Um, and I think that's where, um, you know, social media can be so isolating is when mm-hmm. you are going through all of these pages and these influences where you're seeing that they're just showing exactly what they want you to see. You know, yeah. these picture-perfect images of their life their perfect makeup, their dress to the nines, they're, you know, out having so much fun as a family. But that is not reality. And that's literally a caption. You know, I even go back and I look on my own personal um, social media and I just think, God, I am literally portraying that everything is perfect in my life, that everything looks amazing and I'm so happy and overjoyed and having a great experience. I've actually even stopped posting on my my social media, my personal one, because that's not what I'm going through. That that's not my reality, no, um, at all. And I don't want to, you know, give this false image to people. Um, and I think, you know, even I remember uh, my son actually has been quite delayed in his development. I mean, not delayed; it's still within normal. But for me, having a daughter who went really fast with her development. I started to think there was something wrong with my son. And what makes you think that is social media. Yeah. You know, it's just this constant comparisons. Um, you know, and, and I remember actually reaching out to a mum and saying, you know what, I'm really sorry that I ever made you feel like your child was delayed in any way but not because I'd said anything, simply because of the things, you know, I would post my daughter work, walking for the first time and post her crawling really early, you know, f- I think it was four months or something. But you just don't realise the impact that you have on other people by doing things and it's not just, you know, it's mentally, it does impact them. Mm. It's put this, this guilt and this shame and this feeling inadequate Um, And I think it's really important to just raise awareness of that, that, you know, just be careful of what you are posting and realise that, you know, other people are seeing seeing that and are comparing. And that is just unfortunately what we as humans do. 
Yeah. And I think social media as well comes with a lot of information overload. You know, we do, I mean, we follow all the pages that talk to us about baby milestones and developments and what's normal, what's the range and, you know, how to promote this more. Yeah, it's a lot. And If you do this, you're going to do this to your kid. You're going to screw up your kid for life. Then also if you don't do this, then they're going to miss out on X, Y, Z or they're going to be slower in development. And it's, I'm going to swear here, it's a mind fuck. (laughs) It really is. is. It is. And I've actually never, it's only recently, probably in the last six months, where I've actually started feeling, I mean, probably developed a bit of anger and rage in me about seeing posts, you know, especially about parenting. Yeah. That, you know, as you say, if you do this, this is what will happen. If you don't do this, this is what will happen. Like we have enough going on in motherhood and as parents that we don't need to be made to feel any more guilty for what we're doing. And I understand provide people with the education and the information, but don't make people feel guilty if they're not able to do something or, you know, they're doing things a certain way. We're all just trying to get through every single day as best as we possibly can and just need support. Be, you know, be equipped with the tools and the knowledge, but not the guilt and the shame. Is, is it all right if we go back to the suicidal ideation thoughts? Is that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So can you just talk more on that? Yeah, yeah. So I guess, um, you know, I, it was all these thoughts in my head of, you know, life would actually be better if I wasn't here. Yeah. I can't cope with this anymore. Um, you know, if, if my life is going to look like this with this anxiety and this depression and feeling so unhappy all the time, feeling this anger, then it's not worth living. It's yeah. just not worth me being here. You know, I would definitely at times, you know, be in the car and think, oh, God, it would be great if a car hit me, yeah. you know, or, you know, I'd be walking along the street and a car would go past really fast and I'd think, God, it would be better if I just accidentally got hit by that car. You know, there was no active, um, yeah. you know, necessarily suicidal plans or intents or anything like that but it was just you know moments of fleeting thoughts and and ideas that would pop through my mind um and it's a really horrible feeling it it actually is it's scary um and my kids are a massive protective factor for me I know that I would never ever ever do anything but the fact that the thoughts are there that's hard enough in itself and I think you know if you are in that really bad state where you know you are really unwell it can spiral downwards pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so getting on top of it is so important. <laughs> the worst part is that we believe those thoughts, that we feel that yeah. they're so real. And yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people realise that. We can't just snap out of that. Definitely. And I think a lot of people, you know, it's also minimised quite a mm. lot. Um, I know when I first um, told uh, my husband that, you know, I I had been having suicidal thoughts and, you know, life was not worth living. It didn't feel like it. He definitely, and I guess not having experienced that himself, did minimise it and kind of made me feel like it was, oh, well, everyone thinks that, that, you know, everyone just goes through that. You know, it'll be okay. Yeah. Um, But that's not the case. Everybody doesn't have suicidal thoughts. No. Um, and, And I guess you know, having somebody that greets you with that empathy and um, making you realise that you don't have to feel like that, that was really important for me, you know, with my psychologist. She was just great, you know, and even would, 
would ask me, okay, so with those thoughts, you know, what have you done with those thoughts? Mm. And just makes you realise where you are at and what's going on for you. And I think that is quite yeah. powerful. Yeah, being definitely. Being able to reframe how we're looking at those thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's hard. I know my husband, probably very much like your husband, is someone who hasn't had mental health difficulties and who they love you, they want you to be okay. So in their mind, they think, oh, if I just shut it down, if I just say yeah. it'll be fine, then it will be fine. <laughs> they don't know how to react. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they're trying, but they don't know. They don't know how to react to that. And that's scary, I assume, yeah. to be on the other end hearing something like that from someone you love. You want to fix things. You want to problem solve. Exactly. I think... It is just comes down to that, I mean, that lack of awareness and that lack of um, knowledge around it, Um, you know, and I think I have had to, you know, help educate him a little bit along the way of, you know, when I am feeling like this, this is actually what I need from you. Yeah. Um, You know, not everybody comes with, you know, a clear idea of, how to manage mental health and you know most people don't no and it is a really scary thing Mm. um and I think probably it did actually take me saying to my husband no this is serious like I really am feeling like this I'm not just saying it I'm legitimately feeling really unwell and Mm. I do need this support and when I say this this is what I need um you know if I say I I need a timeout I need a timeout right now Mm. and that's it And I think as well as mothers, um, we don't ask for help until we're at that crisis point. So we're bottled it all up. The fact I'm asking for a timeout right now, I am ready to fall over the edge, you know. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And look, I actually had that moment last night. I honestly, I could not cope. I'd had enough. And I just had to text my husband and say, you need to come in right now and you need to take the kids. I need a break. Otherwise, I am going to murder somebody. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was. He was able to come in and take the kids for me and I just went for a walk. Um, and, yeah, I think, it is. you know, having that tap out, I, I need this now, is really important to be able to have that. Yeah, and, I mean, part of your role as an occupational therapist and from what I understand from your page is working on those relationships, those dynamics, especially between someone who doesn't have a mental illness and then the partner who does have the mental illness, being able to communicate your needs and being able to navigate a new relationship, not just as parents but as parents where one is struggling Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I guess that comes into, you know, a little bit of a relapse sort of prevention in that, you know, coming up with what are your triggers, understanding what's going on for you and being able to develop coping skills um, to be able to try and limit the amount of times that you get into that, you know, those heightened states and also knowing what to do when you are in those states and also being able to talk about that with your family members too, being able to have them on that same page, know how they can step in. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, having that sort of, you know, we call it a relapse prevention plan, but, you know, I'm sure we can come up with a better name so it sounds so um, clinical. Um, But, yeah, I think having something like that is really important for everybody experiencing mental health and I think even in motherhood, you know, having a plan of, 
when things are just getting too much, how can I, how can I cope? How can I manage and prioritize myself, but also get the support from others? For sure. As you do say, we don't reach out for support until it is breaking point. And I think that comes down to us challenging ourselves and forcing ourselves to not put on that face and not try to suck it up and not just try to get through it when we know we're deteriorating and then waiting till the last minute to ask for help. It's also about us relearning how to ask for support and how to accept support as well before it gets to that point. Yeah, and I think you make a really great point that, you know, the accepting. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, I do it myself. You know, my parents will offer something, oh, no, I'll be all right, don't worry, it'll be okay, um, you know, or, or a friend might even offer to me, you know, do you want, I'll come over this weekend, I'll take the kids for you just for a few hours. No, 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 I'm all right, you know, I'm too busy for that. Like, you know, yeah. you're just always making excuses because you don't want to burden somebody else. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, just being able to accept that help, I mean, that's strength in itself, being able to do so. Um, I mean, I certainly struggle with it myself. I want to be able to do everything and that's hard in motherhood. Yeah. I mean, that practical support is such a huge thing. As mums, we want to do everything ourselves. We want to prove ourselves and accepting that help. We all need that practical support with kids I mean they're hard work (laughs) and they're frustrating (laughs) oh exactly exactly and you do need you need that time out from your kids Mm. but you know also even support with meals and um you know not that I have a cleaner or cleaning support but you know support with things you know the house gets messy with kids yeah and managing that is it's impossible well I think Mm. so anyway um but having just little supports like that you know even washing my kid my parents will do the washing when the kids are over at their place they'll just put on a load of washing for the kids and that's so helpful it really is um dad coming around and doing some handiwork you know it is great it's such great support and I think you know we all need those people in our lives that can provide that support and I think you know with modern motherhood it is really hard to find that support because not everyone has their family with them in the same country or in the same state even Um, being in different suburbs is hard but um, I think finding some people in your life that you can fall back on just to get some practice practical support is so important Um, with family you mentioned originally that your family had no idea what you were going through how is that dynamic and that relationship now and how did they respond to that um I still Look, I've opened up to my one of my sisters um, and she pretty well knows everything and we talk every week and um, she knows what's going on. I'm quite open with her about everything. Um, but I guess the rest of my family, um, they don't really know still. Um, my mum has some comprehension of, you know, that I experienced postnatal depression um, and that I was on medications or that I am on medications and seeking help. But, um, yeah, I guess, and I think in a lot of families, mental health isn't really spoken about. Um, and I think that that rings quite true to my family. You know, we don't speak about it and it's, um, you know, we'll just get on with life. Everything's going to be okay. You just got to keep moving. That's just what life is. Um, and it's kind of just minimising what you're experiencing. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think still with my family, it is a difficult conversation. Um, 
but you know, I think over time we will get there, but I really appreciate that I do have one person in my family that I know I can always go to and um, she gets it. She knows what I'm going through and um, I guess, yeah, it just feels safe having that. It's nice to have that. For sure. Um, But you're still being supported, that practical support. So they are accommodating in their own way I guess oh yeah yeah and in different ways exactly so not yeah not that emotional support but you know my my parents are incredible the support that they offer for me in terms of the kids it's really amazing I'm so thankful for all of that um and yeah I definitely could not do do life without it yeah and there are obviously things from your past that you've had to confront now in motherhood. Yeah, I think that's really tough actually and it's probably it, it's really all come to light in the last, you know since my son has been born. Um you know dealing with my upbringing, dealing with, you know, past ex- relationship experiences even um the, you know dealing with all of that has it's made me realize a lot of why I am the way I am and, you know, why I behave certain ways in motherhood um, and, you know, what triggers me. It's really helped bring all of that to light. Um, And I think that's really important because motherhood does do that. You know, it brings out parts of us that we might not like. Yeah. Um, Or be in denial about. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, so being able to just go back and understand why I think is really important. And for me, it's been really beneficial because it's made me realize how I want to change and how I want to be better and what I can actually do Mm. to, um, change, change the trajectory of, you know, for my kids' future too, um, and for my own future. Compared to your daughter versus your son, what do you wish you had during that postpartum with your daughter before things got bad when you had your son what supports do you wish you had in place or what what would have made your experience better I think actually this is a really great point to bring up because I did have really different experiences with my son and my daughter um so I might just go through that a bit and then maybe talk about the support but um I guess with my daughter when I had her as I mentioned earlier you know motherhood was all I ever wanted yeah um and I had pl- walked into birth planning, I want a vaginal birth, I wanted all the pain medications and that I was not leaving without that. Mm. Um, so when I got fronted with a cesarean, I, it, it was really triggering for me. I'd had past trauma from surgery and I, I couldn't face another surgery. I didn't want to be cut open. Yeah. So... Um, I had the Caesar and I actually felt nothing with my daughter. I had no connection, no bond. I didn't feel love. I just felt empty. Yeah. And for seven, seven weeks, I felt that, you know, I know so many people feel it. You know, I've even hurt, you know, 15 months, 20 months, a really long time. But for me, it was just seven weeks. Um, still a long and, time in its own right to yeah. feel that way, especially when you expect yourself to feel a very different way. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I remember during that time, I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought that, you know, I remember even having the thought of, why did I sign up to this? I have made the biggest mistake in my life. And, you know, although, you know, I'm sure many people will think that's a horrible thought, it's exactly how I felt. And 
people do feel like that and it's okay to feel that way. Um, but yeah, I guess after that, then you compound, you know, the sleeping issues, then my husband working, had everything going on and on. And I had nowhere to turn, you know, I'd go to mother's group and yes, you know, I could talk to people and get along with people really well, but I didn't have that connection Mm. and it felt toxic. It felt unsafe and I didn't bond with anybody. I kind of just kept to myself. I'd still go to all of these things, but just never have that deeper connection, um, which can be really hard to find in a mother's group. Um, it's like, oh, you're breastfeeding still, you bottle feed, you know, just all the questions. And it is that surface level. It's just nothing deep. Nobody mm-hmm. actually ever inquiring of how you are really doing mm-hmm. or saying how they're going. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think going through that experience and then with my son having the complete opposite of it was an instant connection, um, which is what I had dreamt of. Um, and, you know, I had my parents' support. We were living with them with my son. Um, You know, it was just a whole different experience in itself. Um, So I think, yeah, I I wish that I had actually sought support earlier with my daughter and I wish that I had not been in denial. Mm. I wish that somebody had said to me that it was okay. You know, it is okay to feel this way and you do need longer-term psychology support and you do need medications and I think to also let me know that you actually could still go on medication while you're pregnant yeah um you know it's not just because you're pregnant you cut it out it's let's weigh up the risks and the benefits of it Mm. and figure out what's going to work um and you know I guess even then after my son was born you know having somebody that would say you know let's check in Mm. after your son's born let's check in and let's have some appointments because, you know, it's not just going to go that depression unless you're actively working to manage it. It doesn't just disappear. Um, so, yeah, I think just having that support would have been really, really helpful. Um, mm. And probably with my daughter, that practical support too. Yeah. You know, I wasn't living with my parents then um, and I'd stay home most days. I would stay home and try and make the house look perfect and be this perfect housewife but you know I think just having those thoughts or having somebody tell me just don't worry about it if you get takeout get takeout if you know (laughs) if you don't get the washing done who cares your kid can wear the same clothes again they don't need new clothes every single day no um that perfectionism really comes out in motherhood and oh it does being able to have someone say, you know, it's okay to take that pressure off. You don't need to yep. do that to yourself. It's huge. Yep. Oh, it is. And I think, you know, every every woman goes into motherhood thinking that their life is going to be exactly as it was before with just a baby inserted. So the house is going to look perfect. It's going to look like a magazine and you're going to be able to cook all your meals and all that, but that's just not the reality at all. And I think just making that known that it's okay and it's okay to sit and actually enjoy your child. Um, I know I actually never recall sitting there and enjoying spending time with my daughter because I was so busy trying to make the house look perfect and have everything, you know, all the meals cooked and 
the laundry done and the bed made and everything that you don't actually get to enjoy that time, which is really important. And yet with your son, that's when the acute episode happened, despite having the support because it had gone on for so long. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think, you know, that is a good point. You know, it is, it it had gone on for so long um, and everything had just compounded on top, on top, on top. And then I guess moving out of my parents just, you know, taking away that support that they were giving, it just, everything just fell. I guess what advice would you give old Ella or maybe a a new friend or someone who's about to become a mum? What would you tell them? What would be something you want them to know? I think um, if I was to go back and tell myself, it would be to actually prepare myself in a different way, you know, not, not necessarily worry about, you know, the perfect nursery or, you know, buying all the, you know, that that beautiful pram and the branded baby carrier, it would be actually going, you know, figure out what my, my expectations are and research what the reality is and build my school skills for my relationship to be able to, um, you know, for us to communicate better and to know what our parenting styles are, to be able to reach out to each other and know when things aren't doing, you know, that we aren't okay and we need that support Um, to line up all of my helpers and my supports, know, you know, who I can reach to for that that, um, practical support, the emotional support, um, you know, helplines that I can call if I need help. Just having everything a little bit, you know, structured a lot better so that I am, I have, you know, that framework to be able to manage in motherhood rather than be able to have the pram to let me go on a walk and, yeah. <laughs> you know, all of those things that, you know, they're beautiful and they're great to have and we do all need, you know, we need all of that. But there's a lot of other things that we need that will help us to be able to actually manage in motherhood and I think that is the important part is being able to manage and cope um so yeah and I guess you know for me that 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 side of things has been so important and that's what I have been working on for the last what six months is you know a workshop to be able to give mums that those skills to be able to prepare themselves properly for motherhood um and not you know yes they'll still worry about buying all the items and preparing the nursery you know that's the exciting part of it but to be able to actually equip themselves with what they need Mm. so that they can thrive in motherhood. And I think as well, just having, as you've said, those resources so that you're not, when things hit crisis point, you're then not scrambling to figure out how do I find help? Where do I go for help? Is this normal? Being able to know what is normal in advance and being able to know, okay, if X, Y, Z happens, then I can reach out to you know, this person, that person, that person. That is so powerful. And I know for me that that was a big part of my help because I had those people in place so that when things did go downhill, I could call them straight away. And that's why I received help straight away. And I was very fortunate to have that, you know, support lined up. Not everyone has that because not everyone talks about this postpartum planning. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, you know, to say, People don't know where to go for support, you know, even with your experience, I guess, you know, how, how would people know that 
there is a psychiatric unit for mums and babies. I mean, it's not advertised anywhere. And I guess with COVID being a massive factor, you know, I I have a mum friend who she had her baby only this year and she never received that six-week follow-up in the, oh, sorry, the um, support in that first week when you leave hospitals. She never got that. Yeah. She never got a call. She never got anything from the nurses and she was all alone. And it was only at, I think she said, it was either five or six months was the first time somebody actually asked her, how are you doing? How wow. are you coping? And we're talking this year, so there's no lockdowns. Yep. That, yeah, it's yep. inexcusable. It is. It, it definitely is. And I think, you know, that's what we do need. You know, a mum needs to know that, there is somebody there that's actually looking out for me. It's not just the baby. It's not just checking in on their weight and all of that. You know, how are you going? And I think, you know, even friends can do that. It doesn't necessarily have to be a support service. It can just be a friend or another mum saying, I just want to check in on you. I don't care about your baby's sleep or your, how are you going? Yeah, that's so powerful. One last question. Yeah. How are you now? Yeah, I'm Let, doing like well. let's talk about this question. <laughs> How are you going now compared to I'm, before? To before, I'm doing well. Look, I certainly still have my days. You know, in the last week, for example, I've had a really tough week. You know, there's been a lot of triggers for me, um, and I've had you know daily panic attacks and um, just not coping. But at the same time, overall, I'm still doing better. And although they're there. I'm able to manage and have those, um, I guess, steps in place to know, okay, this is how I'm feeling, this is what I need. Um, you just need to slow down. Let's just take each moment as it comes. Um, and, I'm, yeah, as I said, I'm still going through that week in and week out. I'm having great weeks. I'm having, you know, for the first time this year, I've felt happiness and joy. I've felt something I never thought I would ever feel in motherhood. Um and it's nice. It's so nice to finally have that feeling. And I think that every single mother does deserve to feel that way um, throughout their motherhood. But um, yeah, over- overall, I'm doing much better. I'm glad. And I think that that's a good place, hopefully, to stop today. Um, you know, it's so important to know that even if we have, I'm going to say, bad days or bad weeks, you're still moving forward. And yes, it sucks. Don't get me wrong. It sucks. And the second it happens, we think, oh my God, I'm going backwards. (laughs) But you have different skills. You have new supports. You have different relationship dynamics that you can draw on and that can help you forward. You know, it's not about complete total recovery. It's about... Yeah, having the skills to cope when those things do come up. Oh, definitely. And I I think also, you know, a massive thing is having this mind over mama, having a passion and having something that's outside of motherhood has actually, it's aided so much in, in, as I said previously, in my recovery and in making me feel, you know, I'm purposeful. I've got something that, you know, I feel meaningful um, in doing. Yeah. Um, and I think for me that that's been really, really important. And we talk about this in therapy, for example, living to your values, figuring yeah. out, first of all, what your values are, and then making conscious decisions to live 
for those or live around those valleys makes such a huge yep. difference for our mental health. So congratulations on starting Mind Over Mama. I love seeing your stories you. and seeing <laughs> what's happening behind the scenes and this is coming up. And I was like, look at that work that goes into that. You can see the passion behind it. So congratulations. And I'm so glad oh, that it, thank you. it's giving you something in addition to motherhood that you can feel proud of. No, thank you. I, I certainly appreciate that. It's been a, a lot of work behind the scenes, as I'm sure you're very well aware of. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I think, you know, every single time there's something new, you know, yesterday we went live with our wellness centre and we're mm-hmm. soon to go live with the website and all of our workshops. So I think yeah, every little milestone, it's just like this confidence booster and this excitement for me as well um, to be able to have yeah have it all and have it all for everybody all other mums around as well which is phenomenal so congratulations and thank you for taking the time to share your story with me today I'm sure there will be so many mums who resonate with everything you've just said whether it's you know not being able to communicate what you're feeling with those that you love um not having authentic relationships in those mother groups so many mums will resonate with that or the feeling of not that instant connection with your baby when they arrive. It is so common and so many mums go through that and are so ashamed to talk about that. So thank you for being open. No, thank you for having me on. I um, really appreciate it. And yeah, I definitely hope that even if it just touches one mum and one mum feels, you know, that they are normal for how they feel, you know, it, it really, it would, yeah, mean everything just being able to do that. Thank you to all our listeners for holding space for today's story. If you like this episode, please leave a review and rating to help me bring you more amazing content. Join the conversation and be featured on the podcast by sharing your story through my website, perinatalstoriesaustralia.com. If these stories are a bit too much to listen to or to read right now, then come back another time. Protecting your mental health is the number one priority. As always, this podcast and its associated blog and social media accounts is not a substitute for therapy or for getting help. No medical advice is provided, only lived experiences. If any of this does resonate though, please reach out to a medical professional. See you next time.